You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Uh, welcome to South Bay Church. If you're visiting with us, we're going to jump into the, the lesson here in a second. How's everybody feeling? It's great to see everybody. Uh, I love coming to church. I hope you love to come to church. You know, it's awesome. It's just great to be together. It's great to see all you guys. I just want to take a moment to go, we're back together. You know what I mean? Like we were on the live stream for a while and I'm trying to figure it out and it's just awesome to be together. I'm just so grateful to be together. So we're doing a, a, a sermon series right now um, called Citizens of Heaven where we're talking about our identity as Christians. Now you might not be a Christian yet. Or you might be like, I'm kind of dating the church. I'm not sure how I feel about yeah. these church people. You know what I mean? You might have not committed to Jesus yet, but you're still going to get a lot out of this because you're just seeing what does it mean to be a Christian? What is, it, what is this kingdom of God thing all about? Who is this Jesus guy? And so that's what we're talking about. It's an alternative identity to be a Christian. It's, and it's dual citizenship. You have citizenship in heaven. There's a scripture that even says we already died and our life is now with Christ. That's kind of a weird thought that we died. I encourage you to investigate that further, and you'll find out what that means. But last week, the lesson was called The Shadows of Empire, In the Shadows of Empire. And this is a picture of that Herodium Hill I talked about. Remember how I said King Herod built his own mountain and put a... So that used to have a palace on top. And it looks almost like a volcano, but that was a man-made hill that, uh, that Herod made. And, and uh, Herod was the richest man ever to live, most likely. And Jesus was born right underneath, in a village underneath the shadow of that hill. So it's just this kind of interesting irony, you know, that the king of kings was born and, and put with these animals in a feeding trough in, in the shadow of this Herodium hill that this, the most powerful man on earth ever built. But he was, he was consumed with envy and greed and, and, you know, probably a miserable, led a miserable existence. And uh, so there's that alternative of empire versus the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about. And so we're, you know, it, the story continued. We didn't uh, get to talk about it last week, but after Jesus uh, raises from the dead and he appears to his disciples, he, he, gives them, he, he says that you're going to get the gift of the Holy Spirit and, and the, the Spirit is going to guide you on through the rest of the way. I will be with you always, he said. And so in Acts 2, the Spirit comes and right there in, in the temple compound in Jerusalem, it, it, there's, the, the disciples are in this upper room near the temple and uh, this sound comes, and all these people come together. There's all these people from out of town for this festival. And uh, 3,000 people are baptized in one day. And uh, they're baptized in these uh, ritual bath, uh, uh, like these, these, there's tons and tons of these ritual baths. And they were built into the temple complex by, guess who? Herod. So it's kind of, again, ironic. That, and the Bible teaches that the, the church, us, the people of God, become a new temple in which God dwells by his spirit. So the temple of the church was built right there in the, in the outer courts of this uh, temple, the monstrosity that Herod built to his own glory, really. Uh, that's why even when the disciples are like, man, look at this building. This is incredible. Jesus is like, you know what? You see that building? Not one stone is going to remain on another. You know, don't put your trust in, in, in humans. But it's cool that that's where it started, you know, right there in the temple courts. And then it, it proceeds through the book of Acts in this geographic fashion where they, the, the, the Bible, uh, the, the gospel of the kingdom spreads. They didn't have the Bible yet, but the gospel of the kingdom spreads. 
and uh, it's, it goes through Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it's really the working of the Holy Spirit that works in all these ways that they didn't have like this grand scheme or this grand plan. It's like things would happen that were even a crisis. Like, for example, uh, you had a, a racial crisis or ethnicity crisis going on in the church where these Hebrew Jews, Hebraic widows were overlooked, but the Greek widows, they were getting the distribution of food. And that's a crisis in the church, you know, and so there's ethnic tensions going on. And so they appoint some, some uh, of these men these, that, that are, are able to oversee this and, and, and change that. And so those become these leaders that then get sent out. So Philip is one of those guys, and then Philip gets sent to Samaria, and then that spreads the word into Samaria. So God even uses these crisis moments. Another one of those guys was Stephen. He was one of those guys that's appointed to, to take care of these needs, and, and then God lifts him up and uses him. But you know what happens to Stephen? He gets killed in yeah. Acts 7. But with him being killed, this persecution breaks out, and then they're trying to kill Christians everywhere. So the Christians have to get out of the city, and they spread. They go back to their hometowns. And what happens when that happens? They spread the news of the kingdom. They're, it's just it's this like infectious new way of thinking about the world that God uses to overthrow these powers and the empire. God just working behind the scenes in the shadows. And so these people who are spread by the persecution, they go to Antioch, and that's the first, that's this big city, this kind of cross, a place where people come from these different trade routes, a very, like a melting pot of different kinds of people, and they go to uh, there, and that's where becomes the home base for a guy named Paul. Anybody heard of Paul before? And his ministry starts in Antioch. If there had been no Antioch, there would have been no Paul. And if there hadn't been this persecution that broke out with Stephen, there probably wouldn't have been no Antioch. You see how the Spirit works? And we don't know how the Spirit's going to work, but he's the one that's doing it. And so the book of Acts ends with Paul is on, he, he's going to stand trial before the empire, before the emperor in Rome, and he's waiting there, and he's on house arrest, and, and he has people come, and he's preaching the word to them. And the last word of the, of the book of Acts is the word unhindered. And if you trace that word through the book of Acts, it's so interesting because it's like, again and again, Luke, who wrote Acts, is saying, the gospel can't be chained. The kingdom of God can't be hindered. So even though you put Paul in prison, even though he's on house arrest, waiting to stand before the most powerful man on earth, Caesar, you know, Caesar has no power. You know what I mean? Because Paul, the gospel is unhindered. And I just love that idea because do you think that nowadays we face empire in any way? No. Is there any empire? I mean, you know, there's all kinds of ways we face empire today. And one of the things at the, at the conference that was inspiring is Sean Wooten is the leader of the church in Odessa. He's American. He went on the mission team to Russia. He married a Russian. They're serving in Odessa, Ukraine. And so we all know empire has come to Ukraine. And, you know, whatever you, you think about the situation, I mean, Putin is like the, the he's just the picture of empire. Yeah. I mean, he's just like, he's out for himself. He, he doesn't listen to anybody. He just wants to conquer and he wants to, you know, and, and by what he's doing in Ukraine, it's making him more popular at home. And so anyway, all these normal people are totally just trashed by empire right now. But these disciples, so here's what the disciples do. A thousand disciples in Odessa, all of a sudden they got to find places for all of them. So then they're calling up the disciples in the Eastern European churches. We have about a thousand disciples in Eastern European churches. And so in like a week, they got to make room for a thousand more people. 
I mean, that, can you imagine what, just the, the and then some of them have to wait, they gotta wait 25 miles to get to the, walk 25 miles to get to the border because there's no way to get through and they're trying to figure out getting their cat there. You know, I mean, all, all this, all the things you don't think about and, and that becomes Sean, his full-time job and they got everybody safely into these Eastern European churches and so now they're, they're just living with families for who knows how long. Just, I love that about the kingdom. You know, that, that, that's what we do when empire is trying to conquer and trying to, to, to abuse and trying to destroy, that we can be children of light and we just, you see God work in ways unexpected uh, to build his kingdom. But yeah, we do still have empires, corporate, political, social, uh, idol worship that's going on in our church today even, or can happen. And our city, I mean, our city is built on Hollywood in a lot of ways. You know, this fake... Thing. I remember the first time we moved, we moved here, you know, almost 30 years ago, and uh, we, went, we were like, we want to go to the Walk of Fame. We've heard about this Walk of Fame. And, and they've kind of fixed it up, but 30 years ago, it was like the shadiest neighborhood. <laughs> I mean, we're like, this is the Walk of Fame? <laughs> like, well, there's stars here, but this can't be it. I mean, that's, I'm scared to walk around here. And, uh, you know, but, but Hollywood is, it, it's fake. It's not real, right? It's this, it's this trying to grab for power and influence. And, and, but we can get caught up in that. Like you see somebody advancing at work or you see somebody on social media and you're like, they have so many followers and they're so social media famous. And you're like, kind of a little bit of your heart's like, ooh, I wish that was me. You know, I wish I could, I wish people paid attention to me like that. And so we have these little voices that try to pull us into these impulses of empire. So the title of the lesson today is Escaping the Deceptions. Escaping the Deceptions. As I said last week, Satan's number one way of neutralizing the advancement of the kingdom is to sneak empire back into her. And that happens in the history of the church again and again. I mean, it gets so dark that, you know, somebody is killed because they translate the Bible. And they're not just killed. They're killed, like, with a vengeance. Like, this guy Tyndale, they, they burned him. They strangled him. They shot him with arrows. You know what I mean? Like, like, we hate this guy so much. And what was this horrible thing he did? He translated the Bible into a language so people could understand it. But that took away power from, at that point, the church had all power. And they didn't want to give away any power. And it wasn't even the church anymore. You know, there was, there was bits of the kingdom, I'm sure. But the, the church as a whole was so corrupt because these impulses of empire try to sneak in. And so Jesus says again and again, watch out against the yeast of the Pharisees, this, this love of attention of men, this desire for praise, this wanting, just, just wanting things to be comfortable. I mean, that's what the, the, the yeast of the Pharisees were. They wanted things to be comfortable. They loved the praise of men. And he says, watch out, it's like yeast. Anybody do any baking here? Who's done some baking? Anybody use yeast before? So do you use like a whole cup of yeast? Or like a pint of yeast? No, you just use a teeny tiny little bit of these little weird balls. I don't know what they are. They're some kind of living organism you put in there. And it spreads. And so it only takes a little bit of deception to kind of spread and multiply. And so he says to watch out because these little compromises that we can make can feed a giant system. And so here at South Bay, we want to be talking about how do we escape those deceptions? How do we not let that stuff in? Because we are in a spiritual war, whether you like it or not. That's what the early Christians believed, that we are in a battle. And we, it's, it's kind of, it's cool if you think about it, it's almost like, you know, rebel fighters in Star Wars. 
you know, only cooler, because this is real. This is, this is the real empire, and we're really fighting for souls. And, and so we have this identity. And, and the cool thing about empire versus kingdom, empire says you don't matter, you're just a cog in the wheel, uh, you're just a drone in the Borg. Anybody know what that is? Yeah. The Borg? Okay, a few Star Trek people here. But, but you don't matter. And, and, and so the, the people, when they were enslaved in Egypt, they didn't really matter. They were only as valuable as the bricks they could make. And, but, but God says, no, you have an identity. And in this kingdom identity, you matter. Your story matters. Your participation matters. Every one of you matters to this community. You know, whether you pay attention, whether you sing the song, whether you show up on time. I mean, those are minor things, but even the word that you could speak to someone in fellowship after this congregation could change their life forever. I've had my life changed by one conversation, haven't you? Or somebody that you meet after this, you know, going out for lunch, somebody you meet at the restaurant that could change their life for eternity. I mean, you matter, your life really matters, and it's super cool, but Satan knows this, and the forces of evil know that, and so they're trying to neutralize you. They're trying to deceive you. Ephesians 6 says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power, put on the whole armor of God so you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil. Or other translations say his schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Doesn't it appear that Paul believed we were in a spiritual war? And and, and the the word there for the devil, you notice it's not capitalized, or Satan is, sometimes Satan is capitalized, but it's not a proper name. It's not his name. Uh, The devil means adversary, and Satan means accuser. It's just a a role that this being played. We don't even know the name. This name Lucifer uh, that we've probably heard, that came into church tradition. That was a Roman folklore name that was an attendee of Venus and he, called the, 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 the bringer of light is what Lucifer means. And so in, in, in Isaiah, there's this passage, Isaiah 14, that kind of sounds like what, we, what we've come to know as this being. Uh, but it's talking about the king of Assyria. It says, you morning star, you son of the dawn. And that, that word morning star, when they translated King James Version, this, this thing had come in, this Lucifer idea had come in, so they translated it Lucifer. They translated morning star Lucifer. But that, that's not in the Bible. It's not in the original text. It's not in the Hebrew. So we don't even know the name of this being or this, fo- this force, but there are forces at work. There are principalities. There are uh, 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 forces of darkness at work against us that try to tempt us. And so we are in this battle where it's a lot of times it's a battle of ideas. It says, though we live in the war- world... We do not wage war as the world does. This is 2 Corinthians 10. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I know a lot of us know this passage, but it's the battle of ideas. It's a battle for your thoughts. That's how much you matter, is that your thoughts matter. And you can be deceived in your thoughts. Now, here's the thing that we think about when, when it comes to deception. We all, most of us, maybe not all of us, but we believe there are spiritual forces, a lot of us. Maybe some of us are kind of more culturally, you know, refined, and we think, oh, that's all old, old news. But a lot of us still believe there are spiritual forces. But, we, but when it comes to being deceived, usually that's somebody else. Oh, yeah, I'm glad you're talking about that, Brian, because this person, I know that person is deceived. 
but never ourselves, right? It's never us. I, I can't be deceived because I, I am the authority. Like, I am smart. I can figure it out. I know, you know, we are the, we are the true north. Like, we are the true realm of reality, and everybody else is deceived, you know? Dustin and I say that all, all the time, joking. We're like, oh, yeah, I, they should just put us in charge of everything. I mean... <laughs> You know, when we, when we start complaining about this or that, you know, we, we know. I mean, they don't, they're crazy. Everybody else is crazy, but we're, nor- we're the only normal ones, you know. Maybe you guys don't do that. I'm sorry, but we don't mean it. We don't mean it. We're making fun of ourselves because we all think this. We all think we can't be deceived. And yet there's, there's little mess, spiritual messages all the time trying to deceive us. You, anybody here get those annoying texts that are trying to steal all your information? Yeah. Yeah, like... And, and, oh, just click here. You've been, I mean, I worry about that because I, what if I accidentally clicked that? What if I accidentally, and, and I, got, I got deceived this last week. I got this on my phone. iPhone memory is full. There is almost not enough available storage to take photos and videos. I, like, and it looks real. It even has the little, the little thing. This came on. I was, like, playing a, a word game or something, and this comes on. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I, I got to. So then I go look. I didn't follow that, that, because I, I think I'll see. Let me think. Let me go to reality. So then I go look at my storage. Dude, I am in good shape. Look at how much gray there is. Like, that is, and the only reason I'm like this is because my sister felt so sorry for me, she gave her, me her old phone. So I got a new iPhone 10 from my sister, and like, I have so much space. It's like, woo, it's like, a pool of space. So it was false. It was, it was not true. It was a deception. And so I want to ask you to just be at least open to the possibility that you could be deceived. Right. It doesn't mean you're a loser. It doesn't mean God hates you. God loves you, and that's why he doesn't want you to be deceived. Man. And so, so there's all these messages about that. And, and so uh, Jesus, even one of his teachings, he tells his disciples right near the end, he says, watch out that no one deceives you. So if you think the apostles could be deceived, we could be deceived. Yeah, and then the, the New Testament writers, there's 40 more warnings of deception in the, in the New Testament, especially in areas of sexual morality and false teaching. I think because our flesh and the things we, we, those things can creep in. But I want to talk about three tools of the accuser today. Lies flesh and the world. Real quickly, I'm going to throw a bunch of stuff on the screen and you can look at it on your own because uh, I, I have so much I want to tell you that I don't even have time. Okay, number one, lies. Okay, John 8, Jesus is having this interaction with people who believe in him. But he says, if you hold to my teachings, then you're really my disciples and the truth will set you free. They get offended by that. We've never been slaves of anyone. Anybody read the Old Testament? <laughs> And so they, you know, what are you saying? Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And so they kind of get in this back and forth with Jesus. And here's what he kind of ends this with, or towards the end of this discourse. He says, you belong to your father, the devil. Again, the devil, the the adversary. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He says, you guys have been deceived. And he says, this this being that has deceived you, he was a liar from the beginning. He was a murderer from the beginning. What what beginning do you think he's talking about? What's the beginning? 
all the way back to the beginning, right? This story, this ancient story that we have of human. Adam, the word Adam just means human, and the word Eve means living. So the, the origins of humanity are we're in this perfect condition, we're in this perfect place with God, and, and it's amazing, there's just one small boundary God has given. And yet, uh, you know, Satan, the, the accuser, enters into this and he deceives them. He says, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? So he, that's crafty, because first of all, he says, did God really say, and then what does he say? Is that what God said? It's not what God said. God said you can only, you can eat from any tree except this one tree. And he says, did God say you can't eat? He really said that? Well, he didn't even say that, first of all. And then he's trying to cast doubt on God. And then it goes on from there. If you don't know the story, it's Genesis 3. Uh, read it. It's a, everybody in culture should know that story, because it's very foundational. So if you don't know the story, read it later. But... I, I want to bring up the fact that I think Satan still works the same way. Now, he has a, a, a the zebra has a personalized lie just for you. I believe that. But they're all garden variety lies. Garden variety lies. What I mean is they all are just like in the garden. They're lies like in the garden. Did God really say? In other words, God is not to be trusted. You, you need to trust yourself, Right? God can't be trusted. God is not good. He's trying to keep something from you. Because he says, you know, first of all, he says he distorts the boundaries. So that's another way that we get deceived. Uh, Distortion of the boundaries that God has set up. We we get it skewed or or, or we think we inflate it or we're, we're, you know, we're, we're, uh, we we get, we feel sorry for ourselves or whatever. But he says, uh, he knows that you will be like him is what the serpent told her. And so that's this lie that God doesn't want something for you. He wants something from you. He's trying to keep you down. He doesn't care about you or his ways are not the best ways. You know, that, that lie we still get. Like, I, I need to take control. I need to trust myself. I need to, because God, I can't trust God because it's not going to work out or it didn't work out before. Or I, I don't know what, it, you know, those lies that try to get us to take control of our own uh, boundaries, and, and, and choose our own path. And then and it says that he deceived her, so she looked and she took. She looked and saw the fruit was good and she took. That, that, um, those, that framework or the, those, that literary device, look and took, is in Scripture a lot. Uh, so like David saw Bathsheba, he looked and then he took her to, to be with him. You know, th- and that's what we do. We, we look and then we take. Uh, and so then they sin... And so oh, another example is the golden calf. He, he looked and he took, he took, the, took their, their uh, objects and he made the golden calf. He looked and he took. So there's this, this thing that happens over and over again where he gets us, right? But then what happens after they fall, how do they feel? Their shame comes in. Yeah. I was naked, so I hid. And so that's where this, these lies of shame come in. No one would love the real you. You can't change. It's too late for you. Here's what you should do. Hide, cover up, blame shift. You know, certainly not trust God. And so this is how, again, these garden variety lies. And, and the alternative to lies is the truth. Uh, Jesus says, the, the, the beginning of this, that passage we just looked at, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It'll set you free from that snare that you've fallen into. 
And the truth, the, the way to get, get to the truth is through holding to Jesus. He is the revealed word. He is God in the flesh. He has come to show us the truth. And so you can't go wrong going to Jesus and going to his word and clinging to his word. Even Jesus himself, how did he face the opposer, the tempter? When the tempter comes to him and tempts him with pleasure, with power, with how does he respond? It is written. Right? He responds with the truth uh, because he tries to tempt him with pleasure, with power, with possessions. And yet Jesus responds with it is written. That's how we escape the deceptions is with truth. So let us be people of the word. Like, let us share the scriptures with each other. And I've heard some stories lately, you know, when we were in house churches or, well, we kind of through the summer of of people really digging into their Bibles in their small groups. And I want to encourage you to make sure whatever you're doing as a small group, you're digging into the Bible. Uh, We used to call it Bible talk, but sometimes we call it small group. Sometimes we call it family group, mission point, all these names. It's a group of people that love the Bible. Make sure you open the Bible. And in, in, your, in your walks with each other, in, in your conversations with each other, just a lot of Bible in your group. You can't go wrong going to the truth. That's the, the, the way to combat lies, that deception. Number two, the flesh. In that same passage, he says, everyone who sins, Jesus says, is a slave to sin. So the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. You know, the... the, the the freedom that we have is a responsibility. And so, so, so we, we are free. We're called to be free, but how do we use our freedom? And that's where the cravings of the flesh can come in. And the whole book of Galatians is really about this. And, and uh, if you want to study more about this, you can study the book of Galatians. But uh, freedom is, is awesome. Freedom is, one, you know, the, freedom is the kind of highest ideal in our country. You know, in our culture, there's nothing better than to be free. And the worst thing you can do is tell me what to do, because we're in America. You know, you're not allowed to tell me. And, and so that's kind of, a, you know, the culture that we're in, the cultural milieu is everything is about freedom. And that's great, but what will we do with our freedom? And is it freedom with no restrictions? Is that a good thing? In fact, the framers of our nation uh, made, envisioned this nation as a republic, not technically a democracy, because true democracy had been tried at least twice before in ancient Greek and in Rome, and in both attempts, it degenerated into mob rule, and from there into tyranny. And so they were anxious about this, so this one, one of the founding fathers, Edmund Burke, wrote this, men are qualified for civil liberty in exact proportion to their disposition to put moral chains upon their own appetites. Society cannot exist unless a controlling power upon will and appetite be placed somewhere. And the less of it there is within, the more there must be without. It is ordained that in the eternal constitution of things that men of intemperate minds cannot be free. Men of intemperate minds cannot be free. Their passions form their fetters. In other words, you're going to end up enslaved anyways to your own desires and to your own passions. And so, so you need some constraints. You, you know, society needs some, some constraints. He said, man, I wish people still wrote like that. That's, I mean, I had to, had to read that a couple of times. I hope you were even able to follow that. But, but uh, I know, you probably would. But, but I, I mentioned that because, you know, something in us, we don't want any constraints. And yet constraints can be a good thing. Any, anybody who's a parent, we know, we got to give our kids some constraints. Can you imagine the child that has no constraints at all? 
anything they want to eat, whenever they want to sleep, whatever they want to do. I mean, how is that kid going to turn out? You know, and so God is a loving father. Hebrews says he disciplines those he loves. He's a father. He wants, he wants to protect us. He, again, he wants something for us, not from us. And so the sinful nature enslaves us and snares us. I want to show you a quick scene from uh, Stranger Things. So if you haven't seen this yet, if you haven't seen this yet, there's not going to be any audio. All you have to do is close your eyes. It's 30 seconds. And so I just want to show you, this is a metaphor for the enslavement of the flesh. So she, she, she gets it. Yeah. Steve, what about Steve? face. <laughs> who's, who's ever felt like that spiritually? Okay, a few honest people. I mean, you know, the, the Bible said, Jesus told this story of the parable of the plants, and he says, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things choke us and make us unfruitful. Like, like that's Satan's objective, is to choke us. Maybe we're not going to leave the church, maybe we're not going to leave God, but we get choked, we get choked. Like that guy, he's hanging on the wall. He's not dead, but he's just, ah. And so Hebrews 12 talks about get rid of the sin that so easily entangles and run. You know, you're not supposed to be stuck on a wall spiritually. You're supposed to be running a race. That's the metaphor. And so, so sin, the, the alternative to sin here is, is the spirit. Living by the spirit. Uh, Galatians 5 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so you do not do what you want. So these desires we have, these natural inclinations, like the desire for pleasure. Is pleasure bad? No, pleasure is not bad. But how do you use pleasure? Is sex bad? No, sex isn't bad. How do you use, it's how you, what you do with sex. What you do with that, with, with, how about the desire to make a difference, to do something, to, to be recognized? That's not bad, but does that become like your whole guiding principle? Uh, the des- desire for comfort, that's not bad. Pl- uh, power is not bad. Possessions are not bad. It's just whether they choke us and they become idols, right? Everything has to be in its proper place. And so the, the guide through that is the spirit. And the Spirit, we do know His name. His name is Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, is the God that now His Spirit resides in us. When we follow Jesus and we're baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What a gift that He guides us. We don't know the name of the accuser, but we know the name of the Spirit. And that changed my life forever when I realized the Spirit is a He. It's never in the Bible, we call the Spirit it. It does this, it does that. I've probably already done it today. Like it's the, the, the force from Star Wars. But in the Bible, it's he. He is the counselor, Jesus says. He is the advocate is another word used. I want an advocate, don't you? I mean, the alternative over here is the accuser or the, the, the adversary. Over here, we have the advocate. 
You know, he walks alongside us. He, he, he helps us. He, he argues for us. The, the, the spirit is the answer. And so there's this contrast in, in Galatians 5 and 6 between living by the flesh and living by the spirit. Living by the, the flesh, it leads to all these things, sexual morality, adultery, uh, you know, conflict with one another, orgies, partying, basically, you know, just this, this place that we, it's not kingdom place. He says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, you're sucked into empire instead of kingdom. But the fruit of the spirit, it says, is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If we live by the spirit, those things are produced naturally. Over time, now fruit, does fruit come instantly? Like if you plant a tree, you have, no, it takes time. It's, botan- it's a botanic metaphor. It takes time. You've got to be patient. But those things will be produced if we live by the Spirit. Small steps of being in step with the Spirit over time will accumulate. And so he uses an example of sowing seed. Don't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If you sow to please your flesh, you're going to reap destruction. But if you sow to please the Spirit, the Spirit will reap eternal life. Sowing and reaping, is not that was part of every human culture until now, almost. So we don't really get this, but we probably get investing or compound interest. You know, the earlier you start investing, compound interest, the more you get. Or we, we probably get the idea of, of mul- just multiplication, right? The, the idea of, of, of a, you know, a graph that is a line or a graph that is, right, uh, what is that called? Exponential. Thank you, math people. Yeah, the exponential curve. That's what he's talking about. Because when you sow, you, you sow seeds, and then those make plants, and then each of those has a lot more, and each of those have a lot more. And each other. It's an exponential system. And so if we make little investments in following the Spirit, it, it reaps these huge returns. I want that. Don't you? I want to be guided by the Spirit. So the, the practical is to make space for the Spirit. And we'll talk more about that in the future because i got to move on. Because we get to hear from Betty here in a second. So get ready, Betty. Last thing is the word. So we, we overcome the, the flesh by the Spirit. Last thing is the world, rather. Jesus, his prayer in John 17 says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus thinks there's a spiritual battle, right? I mean, it sounds like it right there, the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. You see all these things coming together. The word, the truth, to, to protect us from the evil one and, and, and staying out of the world. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. So we're in the world, but not of the world. We, 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 we don't try to just go away somewhere and form this alternate society and don't let anybody in. We, we still exist in our jobs, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, but we're a people it's a different community. It's a people of light. It's a city within a city. It's a light on a hill. And, and when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he, right before that is, blessed are those who are losers. <laughs> blessed are you when everything is going wrong in your life. Blessed are you when people hate you. Blessed are you when, you know, you are, everybody else is getting ahead and, and you're left behind. You are the light of the world. Do you see the, the subversive nature of the kingdom of God? It's not about us. It's what God does through us, even in our weakness, even in our failure, even in our, uh, our humanness. 
we, we are in the world, but not of the world, and so we can't let the world in. This, this same writer, John, that was Jesus talking, but it got into his heart, because in his own letter, he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. This is just the same. 2,000 years ago, it's just the same today. The lust of the flesh, the desire for pleasure. Is pleasure bad? Not in and of itself, but when it controls us, it's the world. Possessions, the lust of the eyes. You know, seeing, oh, wow, I, I, look at that car. <laughs> you know, or, or looking, if I can just get this, or if I can just get that, or if I can just achieve this. It's not bad, it's if it controls us, it becomes lust, I have to have it. The pride of life, uh, power, comparing self to others, competition, climbing the ladder. These are deceptions that are not from the Father, but they're from the world. Because And I, I say that because we still, it's so easy for us to get enamored by the world. It's so easy. It's so easy. Again, the disciples were so tempted with this with Rome. Like, Rome was this incredible human accomplishment. No society like it ever before. And so it was so easy for them to be like, man, this is amazing to get to be here in Rome or to get to be Roman citizens. Or, like, it, you can just get so sucked into this love of empire. And uh, I was changed forever by a deep study of Roman seven, uh, Revelation 17. I want to share that with you. Uh, sometime, but the, gospel, the writer of, of the book of Revelation compares Rome to this prostitute, and, and this prostitute in which all the nations have been sucked into her, been intoxicated by her, it says, and so they've been deceived, and so everybody gets sucked into this, this way of thinking of, this, of, of Rome. He calls them Babylon, but he's talking about Rome. And as I read it, and he says, we are different. Come out from her. Be separate. Don't, don't be sucked into this. Don't, do not be amazed. Because even John, when he sees it, he's like, wow, I'm amazed. And the angel says, do not be amazed. And so I, and, and I did a word study on that. And amazed is like basically to be like, wow, this is, wow, this is cool. This is, and I, I recognize that in my own heart sometimes with stuff in the world. Like, I got to be careful of that. And, 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 and I even changed some habits from, from that study, like some TV habits. I was watching this TV show that everybody thought was cool, but it was, it was kind of polluting my heart. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to watch that show anymore because of just looking at the, 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 the word. And so the word can help us get back on track and, and get away from the world because we're in this post-Christian culture that is trying to, to, to it once. So here, here's the, I want to read you one, one quote here. I'm kind of rambling because I have so many things I want to say and I'm out of time. Um, so post-Christian culture attempts to retain the solace of faith while gutting it of the costs, commitments, and restraints that the gospel places upon the individual will. Post-Christianity intuitively yearns for the justice and shalom of the kingdom while defending the reign of the individual will. That's Mark Sayers. So basically, like, our culture now, the kingdom changed the world. Jesus' way of thinking changed societies, overthrew slavery. I mean, it took time, but the, the kingdom has transformed how people think about humans. When he, some of the things Jesus said were radical in his day to the Romans. To the Romans, it's like, I don't want that baby, just throw it out. I don't want this marriage, just throw it out. I don't want that woman, just throw her out. Like, their society was, was off. 
and their view of sexuality was off. And, just, and so the kingdom transformed a lot of that over time. But then we, you know, empire came into the church. And so then there's all this empire. And then in, in reaction to that, you have the enlightenment and going back to the sources. And then we get so smart. Humans are so smart. Science is the answer and humans are the answer. And we don't need God anymore. We don't need church anymore. And so now objective truth is me for everybody. And, but I still want the good kingdom stuff. I still want justice. I still want all these things I've learned from kingdom. But I don't want the control. I don't want you to tell me what to do. I don't want to be, I don't want to be subject to an authority. I don't want God. I just want the therapy part, but not the authority part. That's our society. And so we, we have to gently kind of speak into that of, no, God is good. God is good. The creation he made is a good creation. He loves you. He's not trying to, to squelch you. He's not trying to choke you. That's the accuser. That's right. Jesus said that Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so the answer to the world is community. A community of people that live like this. A community of people that we override lies with the truth. We overcome flesh by the spirit and we reject the world by forming a community that is counter-cultural. Amen? Yeah. And, and Betty, Betty's going to share now from a, a testimony from her work. And Betty is um, a great example of living kingdom values in the world. She's in the world, but she's not of the world. And so she's going to share, you know, put some flesh and blood on this, what we're talking about. Of how does this kingdom identity, belonging to Jesus and being a citizen of heaven, how does that affect my everyday life? So, and then she's going to pray for communion when she's done. Okay. So, um, well, Satan's already started. So this, <laughs> so, I, I mean, I like technology, but usually when I share, I actually like the paper. So my printer didn't work. <laughs> and then Vita told me I had on wrong ear mismatch earrings. So I'm like, it's all good. Uh, <laughs> and I left my glasses. But I have like 18 font right now. So, uh, <laughs> But uh, Brian asked me to share about um, how God has been working in my life the past few months. And specifically some challenges and victories that I have been facing. So um, I started off, well, in January, I started off the year pretty hopeful, right? Um, I'll be honest, I'm usually happy in January because it's right after Christmas and my birthday month, right? <laughs> January, babies. <laughs> I mean, so who, wouldn't, who, who really wouldn't be excited, right? Um, but, you know, I'm, I really appreciate the message because... I want to share with you how the world um, it can be in my heart, but how, you know, really God has given me an opportunity to let, let my light shine. So by the, end of, in, by the end of January, my roommates can testify to this, I was in a completely different mood. So what happened, I didn't even see it coming. I was struggling with anger, depression, bitterness, self-doubt, lack of trust, confusion, did I say anger, disappointment, sadness, anger, um, 
So for the last five, last five years or so, I've been, I've been really training to put myself in a position um, to compete for future division head position. So I was working long hours, but I wasn't working long hours just for the position. I was just, that's just what I did, right? So everyone thought I was next. I thought I was next. You know, all I had to do was show up, interview, and do well, and I would get the job. And I'm not saying that like, yeah, I'm just gonna get the job. Um, because even, because, and, and there's a reason why I'm saying it, but everyone, like I said, everybody was praying for me, my small group, love my small group. Um, many of you, my friends at work, active friends, retired, I mean, my family. Um, but guess what? The interview came, and not only did I not get the dream position, there were two positions, and I didn't get either. I literally went into shock. Uh, and actually, that's the understatement. And to throw salt in the wound, um, one of the people who was selected was my peer. It wouldn't have been that bad, but he sat two rows over from me. And I knew his work habit. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so I'm like, I mean, I mean, I know a lot of us have, some of us have had those experiences, and you tell yourself, this does not make sense. <laughs> not at all. I mean, all I could think of was his weaknesses. He's not a team player. He only talks to me when he wants something. Um, I was like, God, come on. This does not make sense. I was, I was very angry and hurt. I, I, I couldn't pray. You know you've been in those, those places where you just, I can't even pray. I'm just so angry. Um, and that's why I'm so grateful to have friends, family. Sometimes I, just, I, I would just have someone pray. Because prayer does soften my heart, you know. And I'm, I'm really grateful for like, everybody in this room, especially my roommates, and, you know, just listening to me, walking with me. So the, this announcement was made on a Thursday night, and I was so hurt. Usually I can suck it up, and I can come back to work. The next day, Friday, I was like, I'm not coming. Not coming. I, I can't. I cannot do it. I can't fake it, you know, because everybody's coming in congratulating him, and he's sitting right two, you know, two seats over. I can hear everything that's going on. Uh, so I literally, I literally, I, I literally stayed in bed all day, and I cried. I cried all week, because there's a, there's, there was a lot of things that had been happening, and I'm so grateful we were doing um, emotionally healthy, spiritually. I mean, I was thinking, like, is it because I'm black? He wasn't black. He's not black. I'm still black. Um, I was like, is it because um, is it because I'm a female? Because both the guys selected. I mean, both people were well, guys. Is it because I'm older? Um, you know, you just a lot of things, right? So, but I felt so exposed. Like I just felt because everybody knew. And I was like, oh, I got to go in, and I got to help my head up, and, you know, I got to set up, be a good example for my section. Because people are looking at me. They're looking at how is she going to handle this, right? And I want to read a scripture, and this is something I also want to encourage you guys to, to focus on during the communion. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly 
to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So the world says to me, fake the funk, you know, fake the funk. Um, I said, God, help me. Help me. I didn't realize how much I needed him, but in in his mercy, I was showered with an overwhelming amount of love. I can't even tell you the number of people who call me, who text me, who email me, words of encouragement, or just cry because I was crying. By Monday, I was in a better place. Uh, 100%, but I was there. <laughs> and I felt this, I just felt this, and this, you know how you're going through something and you know it's going to be all right, but you just got to show out at first. I don't know why I do that, but I just, I know it's going to be okay because I know that, uh, for, you know, for me, I know that my faith is in God. And I felt this incredible peace that it was going to be okay. I didn't mean easy, but I knew deep down it was going to be okay because he had me. Knowing this gave me the strength to let go of bitterness. I didn't even know I was bitter. I know. Somebody said, I'm so glad you decided to be better Betty than bitter Betty. And I'm like, (laughs) well, I didn't, we were on the phone, so I was like, am I bitter? I was deceived because I was very bitter. And I decided right then, I had this awesome quiet time on bitterness. And that's, honestly, I just, I love it when, okay, okay, not all the time, but I love it sometimes when my sin is exposed and know something is wrong and I don't know what it is and then God shows me. Like, I love, I don't always love, I'm just saying, sometimes I do. Um, (laughs) Knowing this gave me the strength to let go of bitterness and even realize that this position had become an idol in my heart. I didn't know. Well, I knew, just didn't admit it. So let me say, I do not believe that ambition is a sin. For me, too much of my heart was wrapped around that position. Deep down, I had anxiety. Deep down, I actually had anxiety of getting that job, but I brushed it off as, you know, maybe I'm being afraid, you know, whatever. Because it would mean, it would mean more nights, earlier mornings, and I hate to get up early, and later nights, Basically, no life. So a no from God meant that I could take a breath and enjoy what was before me. I've, I've been blessed to work some, you know, where I, where I was for over 20 years with people that I love and work that is meaningful. I can leave at any time and, like, there's hardly, it's never, there's usually never an event at church that I can't participate in. You know, I feel blessed. So I had finally got to a place where I'm like, God, I'm good. I can stay here. He's driving me crazy already, but with you, I can scale them all. <laughs> I, can, I can do this, right? But, you know, after about a month, after things had calmed down at work and in my heart, another opportunity came along. You think, oh, I'm going to, yes, I'm going to interview. I was scared. I was scared of my heart. But I was also scared because that meant I would be doing something completely different. And I didn't, um, and I was really, I sort of had got to a place of peace. And my, 
the other thing, my wound wasn't fully healed. Like, it doesn't just, just because, you know. So after much contemplating prayer and a lot of, lot of advice, I, just, I decided to let people in even more. I decided to interview. And here's my promotion ceremony. Um, <laughs> so what you see here, it, it really is a, just a snippet of, of my village. Because I know there's a lot of people here that weren't able to make it, my family. Um, and within, within the first month, so getting my new job, starting my new job on May 8th. You guys, never in the world, never planned on going there. I'm like, I, don't, I, I won't be a subject matter expert, a.k.a. know-it-all. It'll be <laughs> like, I, there's nothing I could rely on. And it's, it was scary. But within the first month, I knew that that is exactly where I needed to be, on an emotional, spiritual, and physical level. My hours are normal hours, and I actually get to be creative. I get to be proactive instead of reactive. And I've been able to naturally share my faith. And one of my, one of my employees told me, before I came, she didn't know me, because they do their research before they come. And she said, um, she says, Miss Betty, I don't know you, but I've been praying for you. I got my church praying for you. I mean, who? That's never happened to me before. <laughs> so, like, it just blew me away. Um, like, I want to read that scripture again. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize. But the last part, it says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Yeah. I heard this sermon in my quiet time the other day. Jesus came in a human form to experience our weaknesses. There's so many things that Jesus was willing to feel, to connect with us, to connect yeah. with me. On, and he provides that grace in a time of need. <clears throat> First Peter 2, 3. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So during this time of communion, I just wanted to encourage you. I don't know what you're feeling Things don't always work out the way we want, but I, I honestly believe I'm, God is teaching me this over and over, that when he says no, it's because he loves me, he protects me, and he always has something better. I'm saying things like this, God, I don't want to leave this job, but don't let it be an item in my heart. <laughs> you know? um, but it really is because of Jesus that um, we can take our weaknesses to God because he has felt everything we felt, yet he did not sin. So I'm going to pray, and I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be reminded. Whatever it is, you can bring it to God. Okay. Father God, thank you so much for just this opportunity to share. I thank you so much, God, that you are in control, that you are in control of our destiny. God, I thank you that you don't run away um, when we say crazy things, <laughs> but God, you stand still. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his willingness to die for us, yeah. to show us, God, that it's possible to live a life where things don't always go according to how we think they should, but, God, everything is designed for us to be in a strong relationship with you and to make it to heaven. God, we love you so much, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Yeah.
Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.